gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Why the remarkable big daddy? Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Rick and Morty with the help of special guest, director of content and brand strategy at Cube, Sarah Frazier. Rick Sanchez, tinkerer of terror. Man, that's hard to say. And Morty, right? Whoa, yeah. I never forget a kid. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm talking about my favorite show, so couldn't be more excited. And we're going to get into it today. Boy, are we going to get into it. We're going to talk Rick and Morty. We're going to talk content marketing. We're going to talk about Cube. So yeah, starting off, tell us a little bit about your current role. Sure. So as said, I oversee content and brand strategy. What does that mean? It means I oversee a large amount of functions here, including content marketing, PR, SEO. I oversee the web and I oversee brand and design. And as many of us know, those things have a lot of crossover. So I'm sort of overseeing all of those different functions simultaneously, which gives me a lot of perspective into both the customer journey and the pipeline that we have. And so today we're talking about Rick and Morty. Why did you pick Rick and Morty? I think a lot of it leans into, well, one, I just love that show. But two, what's the most absurd thing I could possibly pick to talk about B2B content marketing? And so I really dipped into the well of absurdism, which is true to form Rick and Morty. And in weird things in space news, that mysterious rift is still there. So starting there, but also because really Rick and Morty follows a very well-known storytelling methodology, which is the Dan Harmon circle story. And a lot of that could be applied to things that we see within the B2B journey, struggles we see with our customers, the struggles we see with our buyers, and how you can emerge victorious as sort of the solution to their problems. Zooming out here, Meredith, what the heck is Rick and Morty? Oh, so Rick and Morty is an animated series on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. It's definitely not meant for children, I would say. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire for this show and many other shows at Caspian Studios. It's about a mad scientist named Rick, who's this older dude, who takes his grandson Morty on sci-fi misadventures, including things like interplanetary travel. And I just saw one where he turns into a pickle. I'm a pickle! I'm Pickle Rick! Anyway, the series was created by Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. Both Rick and Morty were voiced by Justin Roiland up until this year, but there's been some drama. Adult Swim actually cut ties with him. This year, following news that Royland was facing felony charges for domestic violence, but the charges have since been dropped, but it's pretty much like ruined his career. And so they're recasting for those two roles, which is a critical thing for the show. But it also stars voice actors Chris Parnell as Jerry Smith, Spencer Grammer as Summer Smith, 
and Sarah Chalk as Beth Smith, so the rest of their family. Rick and Morty started airing in 2013, and it's won a bunch of awards, including two primetime Emmys. So Meredith, what is this whole circle story that Dan Harmon created? So Dan Harmon uses this structure. It's very akin to the hero's journey, and he calls it the story circle or circle story. The uh, so-called story circle is my attempt to remove all of the hard and repeated work from the task of breaking a story. And basically, the story kind of starts and stops at the same place. So it's an eight-step story process. And the way he describes it is, number one, there's a character you can identify with. So that's Rick and Morty. There's some kind of need, wish, incompletion is step two. Step three, it causes them to go across the threshold. So that's like the call to adventure. There's a road of trials and tribulations. So this is all the trouble and misadventures they get up to. Step five, they find what they're looking for, whether they like it or not. Step six, in Dan Harmon's words, it kicks their ass. Step seven, they come back to the world they started in. And step eight, they're changed from that entire process. And so every episode is based on this circle story or a story circle. And that's what he uses as a structure for that he steps into each episode with. And Sarah, why is this show remarkable? So I think what makes it remarkable is one, the fact that there's such a rigid narrative structure. And really, I, I, I always truly loved absurdism as a concept and in narrative. And I think what's remarkable is that a show that's grounded in absurdism has this really rigid, clear cyclical no notion that brings it from start to finish each time. And truly, if you layer that circle over top of every episode, you see every point is hit each individual time. Depending on who the character is, almost every character has these moments, despite all of them being in it, each time in each episode. Morty's circle is that he exists in comfort until he finds out that Rick is an arms dealer. And I think that's really something that you can connect to a lot with like a multi-persona journey that you have with a B2B customer, which is... No journey looks the same, right? That's the phrase that we hear all the time. And so I think what makes it remarkable is that it always grounds itself, despite being such an unhinged show. Literally, Rick has turned himself into a pickle and a turkey before. And yet somehow, it all comes back together at the end. <laughs> got a pregnant girl in a pickup truck, got one by choice and another by luck. Now it's time to turn into a turkey. One of the things that's that's so interesting about the circle story is, you know, you take a show like Always Sunny or any any famous sort of sitcom and they have this sort of like, you know, they're sitting in the coffee shop or they're sitting in the bar. They go do all this stuff and it and it comes back and then the next episode starts again. And so it's something that I think is really obviously very common in sitcoms because it's supposed to be the same thing every episode. It's a it's episodic, not not serialized. But when you talked, I, I did not know about the story circle and, and about Dan Harmon and how he thinks about this and how he writes, but it's such a good lesson for marketing because we get so caught up in trying to recreate the wheel every single time and not just using a template and a format. And maybe we feel like that's cheating sometimes or whatever, but when you can ground things in a process, then you can use that mental energy to focus on creating something that's more interesting or more absurd. And if you don't have to worry about the flow and the process and the structure, then you can really use that brain power for something else. Yeah, and 
we all have process, right? Everybody has some sort of process that they implement on their team and or that they implement depending on their discipline. And that doesn't mean that there isn't room for creativity. If anything, it, it allows you to not focus on those fundamentals as much because they, that's what they are. They're fundamentals. Let's go into absurdism for a little bit here. This show stands out because it is so absurd. You were born without bones. And it's memed constantly. The you son of a bitch I'm in meme is like, I just got <laughs> like one of the most popular wow. me- memes ever. It's so good. It's so good. You son of a bitch I'm in. It's used, I mean, how many, how many millions of times do you think that people have used that meme just like <laughs> alone? And obviously it's an extremely popular sort of viral show. In, in that way and in, in the way that it's memed. Why do you think that this absurdism is so popular? I mean, we could get really psychological here if you want to, right? Which is the inherent randomness of our own lives makes us feel better to see it played out on the screen, right? The ability to see like you are not maybe solely responsible for the things that happen to you, that there are inherent randomness in the universe. And that's when Malachi the Squid King rips off his face, and beneath it is my face. But ultimately, the lesson is, like, you're responsible for how you react to those things. Very similar to, like, grounding it back to how you deal with customers and potential customers is, like, they're going to come at you with all sorts of questions and comments and things that they want, things that they need, things that you didn't consider, and how you react to those things and how you create those Honestly, we can use the word again, remarkable moments for them where you are a memorable vendor in their head or really what define those journeys for those folks. Do you think that B2B marketing should steer more into the absurd? I think that it should definitely steer into more of the the level of creativity that's missing. I don't know. I get these ads literally all the time and apologies to whatever company's doing them, but there's this ad of this like pop art woman yawning that says B2B is boring. I get those literally every day. It's not wrong. Can't argue with that. It's also a boring thing to say, but I think that the truth of the matter is that there are elements that just feel very repeatable to the point where you're forgettable, right? When I worked at Drift, we really talked about like, what are those unscalable moments that we can create for customers that feel wholly unique to them? And we're always talking about scaling and marketing. We're always talking about that in particularly tech startups because we want to move fast and iterate, et cetera. But what are those moments we leave for ourselves as marketers that are truly unscalable? What are the campaigns that we can create that feel wholly unique to those customers that we're targeting? When I was first thinking about this idea of the the story circle and what Dan created and how he created Rick and Morty. My first thought as we're trying to relate it to B2B is like, this is all of our lives every day is now you, you work from home. So you open up the laptop at whatever 8am and you sit in front of a camera all day, do all these calls, do emails, close the laptop at night, and you're back in your house. Maybe you're going to work, maybe you're not, whatever. I'm like, we have a story circle every single day in our jobs and our day-to-day. So no matter who you are marketing to, if you understand their story circle really well, 
and outline those steps because every day we put up with some, there's some fire, there's some crazy thing. There's some, oh, like legal has to review this. There's some, we have a new campaign coming up, whatever it is. There are these natural circles in our life. And I'm not talking about like the buyer's journey as a circle. I'm talking about like just these natural ebbs and flows that people have. And like how little we tell those stories in a circular way where it's like, okay, we just implemented this new technology and the CIO got the whole team and everybody and it's implemented. And then they close their laptop and a week later, it's like, okay, we got a new tech implementation. Like this stuff happens so much. And I feel like there's so much room for better storytelling using this type of a device. Yeah, I actually think that that's wholly interesting. I think some of the best storytelling that happens today is the ones where you're talking about someone like late night in front of their laptop elbows deep and trying to solve a problem and it's something that's a lot more personal you're talking about like someone saving their career versus someone using a tech to solve a problem for their organization which is such a boring narrative that we hear all the time it's really i think where people are succeeding is where they can lean a little bit more into that how can i help you further your career versus like how can i help your company do this and that's like it's the selfish benefit right the selfish benefit to the audience the selfish benefit to the reader it's like the most successful marketing copywriting that I see today are the businesses that can really lean into that selfish benefit. Mr. Meeseeks, I would like to take two strokes off my golf game. Ooh, yeah! I think that we've talked about this off air. So, for example, we're doing this fiction series called Murder in HR, which is going to be out mm-hmm. in this summer. And one of the things that we did is we set this, this is a spoiler for the show, but we set the set it in HR organization of a startup and then turns out that it's actually a company of assassins and our idea there was to like take an hr department which deals with all these crazy things that they deal with every day like some of the craziest stuff and we're like how do we heighten this to a level of absurdity where it's like well what if you were doing hr for assassins and like it brought out so many fun stories as we were talking to people in hr that like the key part of the story is someone is murdered it's called murder in hr and i was talking to a chro and they were like dude a guy at our company, All Hands, almost died because he got impaled by an umbrella. Wow. Like a beach umbrella broke, impaled them. They were so drunk that that's how it happened. More wine? <clears throat> I think I've had enough. Then they end up like having to go to the hospital, lie to their boss about what happened. And he's like, this isn't even that far off. This is a, that was a real life thing happened. So like someone, you know, dying at, at an All Hands, actually, you know, I've literally dealt with someone like that. I found the person. And crazy. I think that when you, when you put, yeah, so crazy, right? But when you push into the absurd, you'd be surprised how often you land in something that's actually just as crazy. Right. Oh yeah. What, what's the, I'm going to butcher the phrase, but it's like real life is far more entertaining than fiction or something like that, which is just inherently true most of the time. And you hear stories like that and you're, and I feel like, HR is such a funny one because every HR person has like in their back pocket, five horror stories. They're some of the most interesting people to talk to because they deal with such nuanced situations with the the employees that they have, like people from all walks of life. So no, a hundred percent. I mean, really good example of a, of a profession that you truly can get the most mixed bag of days. And I think that there's just so many things with work that we've dealt with crazy stuff. We did it. We did a, an exercise at our company the other day 
where we sort of talked about like our worst days at work ever, how they got fired or let go or how they had a horrible boss. Please call me the devil. And it's so interesting because it was like cathartic to even just talk about this with your peers. Right. And now people look back and they're like, man, that was so horrible at the time. But like, I'm here now, you know, whatever. I can kind of laugh about it. And I think that there's just some level of catharsis when you can highlight the absurdity of these situations. And like, that's what I think a lot of B2B storytelling is missing and marketing is missing. It's just like the humanity of the absurd, right? It's not just, I can decrease your implementation time from 700 hours down to 12 hours. There's cooler ways to get at some of the emotional beats of what that person is going through. And I think using a tool like Circle Story could help you sort of map that out a little bit. Definitely. I mean, it's funny because our CEO, Christina at Cube, has this kind of cornerstone story that she tells about how she founded Cube. And she begins it with saying like, she's literally like working on a laptop in an office building, middle of the night, there's no heat. And she's pulling together data in the spreadsheet and how she just so vividly remembers the way she was feeling and how absurd the situation was and how nobody was able to solve that problem. And it's moments like those that truly shine, I think, in B2B. And I think founder stories are a lot of one of those areas where you can really show because she used to be the persona for the persona that we sell into that can really shine for folks and be like, oh, I see me in that. Even through the absurdism, right? I see me in that situation because I would also react in that way. Yeah, I would add another piece of advice that I would have. Let's say you don't have a founder story that's that engaging and cool. Right. And I share the same frustrations because Cube does FP&A uh, software without the friction. And I'm a CEO who absolutely loathes fpna and so i've i know exactly where she was sitting in that uh, sitting in the dark yeah right exactly at financial statements doing a bunch of manual work so i i i can empathize but if you don't have that there's someone in your organization who buys your product like whether it's your cio right. or your or your cfo or, or whatever and that person probably has a bunch of stories and you should probably back up a microphone up to them and get them to start telling some crazy stories. I can't believe I'm finally having this conversation. And how you air them or how you publish them or how you do that stuff is you could do it in a variety of different channels, whether it's like video or podcast or audio right. or other types of audio or, or blog or whatever or, or social things. But getting those stories, the crazy stories, the absurd stories from them and their peers is right. a really good strategy. Because like, I guarantee you, your marketing team can't just sit there and like jam in a Google Doc and like come up with the richness of no. that sort of thing. No, 100%. I mean, that's sort of like leaning on SMEs a little bit more in organizations than you probably typically do. One thing that when I joined Cube is that I came in and I, I didn't know jack about FP&A, right? And I, I really needed to rely on that sort of SME expertise and find those. I mean, in Dan Harmon's thing, he talks about the character. Find the characters, right? within that story that I can talk to internally in the organization. Really good example is like my VP of finance. It's so important that you're talking to those folks and getting those quote unquote war stories. So you can start building out those journeys. And then obviously also sitting with your customers and listening to them a little bit more. 
and working with your customer marketing teams to really get into the weeds on like, where are these people coming from? What are the pains that they're trying to solve? It's more than just making them the hero, but like, how are you saving jobs every day? Any other thoughts on Rick and Morty or the Circle Story or Dan Harmon or any other stuff there that you want to talk through? I think that there's the the diverse nature of B2B journeys that are the most interesting from the Dan Harmon Circle Story. So if you like break it down, you have a character with a need. What do you desire? The needs are diverse. So you have a target audience, they have challenges, they have pain, it's wholly unique to them. You understand what drives them and you're, you're essentially trying to seek what they're trying to achieve. But they're entering an uncomfortable and unfamiliar situation. They're looking for someone to support them. And then moving from there, it's like, how do I adapt to this situation with this new tool I have? And it's also acknowledging like, this is the consequences if I don't move on to that. And then seeking out the things that are more comfortable to them. Like now that I have the solution, I feel more confident in approaching my CEO. And that's sort of like where the the vines sort of cross, so to speak, between the survival story and really what we're seeing in B2B journeys today, which is everyone's coming from a similar place of discomfort in their roles when they can't seek the answers that they want. I sense insecurity. But the journeys are different, right? And that's what I really love about tying it back to the Rick and Morty narrative, which is there is an inherent randomness, but there are connecting threads that happen in each person's stories where you can create that kind of holistic journey for individuals without driving your team crazy, trying to find solutions for each individual person. Do you have a favorite episode? I don't know the name of it, but there's essentially one where there's parasites that make you remember them. So a good example is it'll create fake memories in your head to duplicate itself. Pickle Rick is a really great one. I mean, it's iconic. There's also Mr. Meeseeks, which can't die until it teaches you to do a thing and comes up against Jerry who is truly the worst and can't do anything. And so the Meeseeks go absolutely insane because they can't die, because Jerry can't learn anything, because he's incompetent. I'm Mr. Meeseeks! Look at me! That one tickles me, too. I like that one. Meredith, can you tell us about the making of Rick and Morty? So to give you some background, Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon, the co-creators, they met originally at Channel 101, which was this monthly film festival in L.A. that was co-founded by Harmon. And so Justin Roiland, for the Channel 101 film festival, created this webisode, and it was supposed to be a parody of Back to the Future. And originally it was called The Real Animated Adventures of Doc and Marty, but Marty was spelled M-H-A-R-T-I. And it was really unhinged. There's that word again, but it was super well received. And so Roiland just started making more webisodes for that series. But in 2012, Harmon was approached by Adult Swim and they were looking for a new show. And so he was like, I think I have an idea. So he reached out to Justin Roiland. He was like, hey, remember those webisodes you were making? And so they got together, decided to run with it. And they changed the name from Doc and Marty to Rick and Morty. And then they sat down and wrote the pilot episode in about six hours. And It's crazy. The reason why I think it's it's super important to bring that up, because I think a lot of times like content marketers are, are struggling for inspiration of, of different things. And it's so funny that they started with a parody of Back to the Future, of something that they clearly had an affinity and an affection toward and trying to create something from that. And I think it's just a really good piece of advice for B2B content where it's like, start with something that you already love 
and like try to make a parody right. of that. Because if you can do that, maybe you can find some little threads or nuggets that you found particularly interesting or insightful about that and just shape it to your industry or your buyer or whatever and, and see what you come up with. And if the parody sucks, then it's a parody and who cares? Yeah, no, I think it kind of goes back to that people seek out things that are familiar to them, even like a spin on the familiar, particularly your customers. So yeah, no, you, you see a lot of that today, but I, I think that there's, there's a lot of room for creativity there. Speaking of creativity, let's talk about some of the cool content marketing and marketing and brand stuff that you're doing at Cube Software. For our listeners, they can check out kubesoftware.com to check out the cool stuff. What's your content marketing strategy? So essentially, next month, we work on a physical year that starts in February. So July is the last month of our quarter for this quarter, so Q2. So we're currently planning, and I generally like to plan a month in advance. And essentially, our strategy, we're mostly focused on like FDNA folks, sales folks, anybody that's really leaning into financial planning and analysis, we bucket our content strategy by themes. And themes, for some folks, might mean campaigns. For us, it means something a little bit more broad, which is just what is the topical focus that we're, we're looking to do each quarter. And we lean into SME expertise. And we also work with our product marketing folks to say, okay, what's the roadmap for what's ahead? What are the launches that are coming? What are the like topical gaps that we have? And that introduces a lot of room for filling. Where are we not succeeding from a funnel perspective? Like, where do we lean, need to lean in more with our website? And again, like, I focus on content marketing, but I also oversee all of these functions on the website as well. So when I'm thinking about building out my strategy, I'm also considering like all the moving pieces that need to come from like my web strategy, from my demand gen strategy, from all these things. So we we start with that. We start with themes. We break down, we do like general research from like an SEO perspective, tofu, mofu, bofu, break it down from there. And then we do interviews with SMEs. They might both be internal and external. So we have external SMEs that we work with and I kind of walk through the strategy with them and they provide a lot of insight into the like the subtopics or topical pieces that fall underneath. And for us, our content strategy is really all about self-service. So how can we provide as much value up front for customers? And for a lot of these folks, that's templates. So Cube is a software that sits on top of Excel and Google Sheets, and it has its own app as well. But a lot of these folks are looking for simplified solutions for a lot of the financial planning analysis that they're doing. So we develop templates. We're leaning a lot more into looking at tools and ebooks and a lot more deliverables. The interesting thing about Cube is it's been around since 2020 and there's been a lot of like ground to make up. But the value add is that the sky's the limit, so to speak, of, of what's possible. And so for us, it's really how can we provide as much value up front? I like to say content marketing is all about giving away as much of the house as possible outside of just the value of the product. And a lot of that happens during this time of like, well, what can I give people as much as possible? What are they missing? Like, what can I solve? Not just with the product, but in the content that we're creating. So we're doing that process right now. It's always a fun time. Busy, but fun. How do you think about like the ROI of content and improving that what you're doing is, is working to leadership? Again, it depends on which function I'm talking about. But if I'm talking specifically about content marketing, we break things down by like organic or direct SQOs, so ops, and then meetings booked. So how many can we, we trace down through organic means or some of the direct campaigns that we're running? 
Beyond that, it's also just like organic traffic that we're driving to the site. Organic traffic to us is a little bit more of a, a vanity metric. It feeds into a lot of the other metrics that we have. But really, if that's not converting down the funnel, it's kind of a moot point. So really, it's that like organically sourced and directly sourced from the content campaigns that we're running. And then from a brand perspective, I'm looking at also share of voice. I'm looking at sentiment. I'm looking at like branded traffic versus non-branded traffic. So there's a few moving pieces, but it's pretty, in my opinion, easy to tie the efforts that you have to the metrics that are driving that funnel. Do you have any favorite pieces of content that you've, either content or, or brand campaign or anything like that, that you've done either so far at Cube or in previous roles? I am generally a really big fan of self-service content. And I've done it a few iterations of that. So at Drift, I got to partner with Asana, who are the notorious template people for project management. So we got to build a lot of really cool dedicated templates for folks that we got to put in their marketplace. We also created a template library when I was at Podium, which the track is use this template right away in pre-trial. And that's sort of just like grab and go and use it right now. And I think that's something that's really appealing to B2B buyers is they get to sort of like try something, but also be guided in what they need to try. So like running a text campaign, but not really having a point of reference is difficult for some people. Well, here's a template for how to drive that text campaign now. So I think value adds like that, where you're you're not just saying like, here you go, and not providing anything. What I really love is campaigns that we're running where we really do give people everything that they need to be successful. I love it. I think templates and tools are so underutilized. I don't know. What do you think? I would say the tools in particular are some of the hardest things to justify building because you're going in and you're not totally sure how useful they'll be. But there are some of the things that I think have the highest staying power, right? Like a calculator, a site auditor, like a headline analyzer, right? Like CoSchedule is such a perfect example of a company that yeah. really figured it out, right? They really figured it out. And like so many markers are vying for something like that where it's the repeatability. I think that's what makes tools so appealing to people is it's not a, a one-trick ROI calculator where essentially someone's going to use it once and never come back. Bye-bye. And same thing with templates, right? They have a repeatability to them. They have something where someone can come back and use it again and repeat that process again and again for however many campaigns that they want to run. I think those are the tricks. It's essentially being useful for folks. You know what I think is a great best practice? And, and I totally agree about tools when you get it right. It's, it's so right. It's truly like viral. And you probably need to, I mean, viral is a loaded term, but but it's like you said, it's keeps people coming back and, and lots of people use it. But I think that so, so often people don't market those sort of in a, in a more conversational sort of way or, or in a video first way. And one of the best practices I've seen with that stuff is when people, when they have, whether it's ambassadors or internal employees or people like that, record themselves using the actual tool or the template and like showing people how to use it. And like, hey, this is how I do it at our company or this is whatever. Right. Recording that and sharing that stuff on LinkedIn. Because then it's like, oh, hey, there's this cool tool or template. But also you're getting social video out of it that is helpful. And I've seen that work really well. 
No, yeah, I completely agree. Like half the battle is just like people want to use something now and just being able to like visually show them. Like even like a quick loom video or something, right? Just to walk somebody through something is just super powerful. And just get people from your team that have those same jobs to share it on LinkedIn. Like LinkedIn prioritizes video, just like have them share it. And then the thing about the tool or or a template that's really good that someone is like, it's the bookmark moment is like, dang, this is so good. I'm going to bookmark this. I'm coming back right. to it. I mean, that's that's the true nirvana there. Any any thoughts on how to make a, a really helpful or useful bookmarkable template? I mean, I kind of harked on this before is that we've done a really intentional effort of working super closely with SMEs. And I think content marketers you need to really lean into uncomfortable situations and acknowledge. I always say content marketers are facilitators of expertise, not experts themselves. And so if you're not getting close to or talking to your your SMEs every day, you're doing it wrong. So for us, I bring in SMEs both from the strategic, we already talked about it when I'm talking about things like building out our content strategy and our content themes. But my content marketing manager talks to our SMEs every day when she's building things out as well. She's getting that feedback. And so the value add there is, hey, this is something that I today really wish I had. Just auditing with them and saying, like, what are you hearing from customer calls? What are the questions that they're asking? What are the things that they're seeking out? Because a lot of the times customers will ask for super specific things during these calls. Like, hey, can you do a cost benefit analysis with Cube? Like, that's a template right there that my team could create. So just like really digging into both like customer calls and SMEs that you have internally to sort of validate some of the content that you're creating is super powerful. Yeah. And then the ones that are really good, making sure that those are up front and center, right? Like if there's, if there's someone who's the clear winner that people are using a lot, like don't bury that below the fold, just get it out to people. Yeah. Good example is we have this headcount planning template. That's the featured template. And which is timely, right? I don't really need to go into the the elaboration of the times are hard at a lot of particularly SaaS companies at a lot of companies today. And people are looking more and more to get a handle on people planning and headcount planning and understanding like resourcing within teams. So you avoid situations like what we're seeing with massive layoffs. And so we actually saw, you know, over the last few years, this uptick and people downloading that template just because of everything that's going on, which is interesting about behavior, but also important for us to understand like needs of people that are coming in and, and looking for something like you. Can I tell you what I, what I love about the way that you did the headcount planning template is that the blog post is free. It accompanies it is like pretty an in-depth post. I don't know how many words, probably 1500 words. And it has like nine tips for better workforce planning. And there's like some real good info there. And then you gate the actual asset, which again, I know that there's all sorts of ideas on gating, but for something like this, that is real valuable. Nobody cares about giving their freaking email address to get an asset. Right. They care about putting their information to get content, but for assets, right. it's totally different. And so right. I love that the blog is part is free. And then it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just great. I like it. Oh, gee, thanks. We appreciate that you like it. Any exciting stuff that you have coming up from a brand perspective or marketing perspective that you're excited about? 
Well, I'm excited about the fact that it's July, which means it's planning season for Q3. I can't go too in-depth. There's fun things coming with the Cube team. But no, we're, we, we've been really leaning into virtual events. We just did a, a CFO Leadership Council webinar with Christina and our board member based on the concept of Andy Raskin's The Best Pitch Deck I've Ever Seen. The idea was the best board deck that I've ever seen. Because really, CFOs are highly involved in creating board decks during quarterly meetings. And so we really leaned into that concept and sort of Christina came in as the angle of the CFO CEO. And then we had a board member of our own be on that webinar as well. So we actually just launched a blog today that has the full deck, et cetera. So if you're interested in head over to the Cube blog, but no, like really leaning into timely. So August is a big planning season for a lot of folks. So we'll be leaning into a lot of materials about FP&A planning. There really is like a cyclical thing for our audience. So no, I'm just really excited to launch in Q3. And if anyone's interested to see what we got going on, head on over to cube.com or cubesoftware.com, I should say. Awesome. Sarah, any final thoughts here? Any other final Rick and Morty-isms before we get out of here? I think we kind of touched on it briefly, but I would definitely lean into the absurdism. I would talk to your SMEs and they're going to have different stories. Don't look for carbon copies everywhere. There's unique journeys, but you know there are single threads that you can lean into a little bit. But no, really, I think that the takeaway is finding those those aha moments and remarkable moments for customers within that journey and also surfacing up content that they need as part of that and making it as easy as possible, aka self-service materials. You son of a bitch, I'm in. Love it. <laughs> All right. You've been, Thanks, you Sarah. were like, I can't wait to say it. Thank you. <laughs> Indeed. Take care and we'll uh, talk soon. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios. B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.